0: I'm Chad Robertson. I want to welcome you to today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. We're in the book of Judges, and we're gonna study a man named Micah. Micah represents today's casual Christian. Micah wanted the blessings of God. He desired the favor of God, but Micah was not willing to obey God. Micah did not walk with God. And you know, in today's culture, There are many people who, they pray, they want something out of God, they desire God to help them and bless their life, but their lives are absolutely contrary to how God says we are to live. Micah represents people like that. And I think that if you and I will listen today with an open heart and listen with open ears, it may be that you and I see a little bit of ourselves in Micah. If today's sermon challenges you, if it impacts you in any way, well, I would sure love to know that. So many of our listeners, you know that I'm blind, but I'll always love hearing from those who God is speaking to through these sermons. You can always reach out to me by sending me a quick email at pastorchadroberts at gmail.com. You can Jump on my website, read my story, check out other resources that we create—books, uh, music, uh, sermon series, podcasts, all kinds of things—at Awakened to Grace. And so, connect with us. Let me know where you are listening from. Let me know how God is working in your life. Most of all, let me know how I can pray for you. So, message me today, Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com. Well, today we're going to go to Judges chapter 17. Let's study God's Word together. Today, I want us to go to Judges chapter 17. Last week, we were in chapters 13 through 16, looking at the life of Samson. If you missed that sermon, I encourage you to go back, download our app, Awakened to Grace. Listen to that sermon. It's called God's Not Through With You. The week before that, we were with David in a city called Ziklag, and we called that Enough is Enough. And throughout the last few weeks, we've been looking kind of at this theme, even though these are standalone sermons. it just seems like the Holy Spirit is threading this theme throughout our studies that man did what was right in his own eyes. Very interesting. The book of Judges that we've been in for the last two weeks, it's a very bizarre book, as a matter of fact, you're not going to understand the book of Judges. You will read it and you'll kind of scratch your head because the stories are so bizarre to our Western ears. And you're not going to understand the book if you don't understand the key theme throughout the book of Judges. Again, it's like the Holy Spirit just has a thread weaving in and out of the pages of the book. And it's this. It's chapter 17, verse number 6. And it's throughout all Judges. that I want you to pay close attention to chapter, to chapter 17, verse 6. It says, and man did what was right in his own eyes. Friends, may I propose to you today that we are living in a day, we are living in a society, we are living in a culture that is the exact same today, that man is doing what is right in his own eyes. That could mark, that could be the commentary of our day today. You can look back over the last century and you can see how we have removed the authority of God out of our society. And because we have removed God's authority, do you know what the, do you the next to be removed? We have now removed morality out of society. And because there is no authority, because there is no morality, now do you know what the last domino to fall has been? Truth. Now today, there is no absolute truth. You ask an average American what truth is, and do you know what they will tell you? Truth is what I feel it is. Truth is what I think it is. Gone are absolute truths. Why do we have a society today where man does what is right in his own eyes with no absolute truths? Why? Because we've removed authority. Because we've removed morality. Now we have removed absolute truth. Anyone on the same page with me right now? So we have a culture where people do what is right in their own eyes. I want to introduce you today to an interesting guy named Micah. Micah, very interesting guy. And I think for many of us, we will see ourselves in the story of Micah today. Look with me, Judges chapter 17, verse number 1. Scripture says that in the hill country of Ephraim lived a man named Micah. Now, I just want you to note, so you have the context to what is going on. Micah and those of Ephraim, which was a tribe, uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, along with the uh, the Danites, the tribe of Dan, which you'll see in chapter 18. (coughs) If you will notice, they are in what's called the hill country. They had an enemy called the Amorites and they had crowded the Israelites up into the hill country and they did not have access to where the tabernacle was in Shiloh. So in other words, Micah could not just freely go to the tabernacle. Micah could not go and worship the Lord like everyone else. It's a sad commentary when the world crowds out the church. It's a sad commentary when worldliness has crowded out the things and the people of God. And I think that could be said of our day as well. The world is crowding out. It, is, it, it would appear that the strength of the church is very low in this hour. Very low at this time. So... Here Micah is, he cannot go worship as he would like to. So Micah thinks he gets very clever. And what he does, as we'll see in a moment later in the chapter, he begins to make replicas of the tabernacle so that he may worship the Lord. And if you read this chapter only at face value, it would appear that Micah has a right heart. It would appear that Micah desires the right things. It would appear that Micah is pleasing the Lord, but absolutely Actually, the it's the opposite. Micah would represent, in our day today, Micah would represent a casual Christian. Micah would represent someone who wants God's blessings on his life. He desires the favor of God. He desires the blessings of God. But he will not honor the ways of God. Micah represents a Christian today who loves God but does not live for God. This is what we see in this man named Micah. In verse number one, we're introduced to him. But in verse number two, if you want to take notes today, I want you to note this. Number one, we see Micah's crime. What does he do? He steals 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. Now, if you want to kind of get your mind around how much money this is in this day, later on in verse 10, as we'll see, he's going to hire his own priest for 10 shekels of silver a year, plus a change of clothing. And the entire year's wages is 10 pieces of silver. So if 10 pieces of silver represents a year's wage, think about what your year's wage is right now, and imagine... Having do the math on that. This is an enormous amount of money. Verse number two, he steals the eleven hundred pieces of shekel. Now, again, what happens? Verse number six, everyone does what's right in his own eyes. And then he overhears his mother. Now, his mom, boy. I don't know about you, but I'm still afraid of my mom. Are you? (laughs) And he hears his mom give a curse to whoever stole the money. Again, we're talking about an enormous amount of money. And she says, cursed is that person. Well, it scares him. But notice... He doesn't feel any remorse. He doesn't feel any guilt whatsoever. It just simply scares him that God's going to curse his life. And he comes to his mom and he says, hey, I'm the one who stole the money. I'll restore it. Well, she changes her tune very quickly. And she says, well, blessed be my son in the name of the Lord. And this thing and the story gets more bizarre. So they take the 1,100 pieces of silver, this family wealth, And they take 200 pieces of silver of it, according to verses 3 and 4. And they create an image. Now, friends, let let me remind you. Get the context. These are people that's trying to follow God. These are people who care about God's blessings over their life. These are people who pray. (laughs) These are religious people. They're following God. And you know what they do? They do absolutely contrary to God's law. The Bible cannot be any more clear that we are to have no images, no carven idols, no idolatry within our lives. None whatsoever. And what do they do? They make a carven wooden image and they overlay it with silver. And they disobey God. Then when you go down to verse 5, watch what he does. Now, think, this is who Micah represents. Number one, we see his crime. Number two, we see the shrine that he makes. I want you to pay attention to this. He represents Christians that have one foot with God and the other foot with the world. Christians that are half-hearted. Christians that they say they follow God, but their life is contrary to it. So here's what he has. The Bible records he has this shrine and he makes this 200 pieces of silver, this graven image. And then he takes the ephod. Do you know what an ephod was in the Old Testament? It was this breastplate with 12 stones that represented all 12 tribes of Israel. And the priest would wear this ephod And it would help them determine the will of the Lord. It was symbolic. Remember two weeks ago when we were studying David? When David went and inquired of the Lord, what did he take with him? He took the ephod. The ephod represents the things of God. And what does this guy do? He takes an idol, which God condemns, and he takes the things of God, like the ephod, and then it says he had other gods within his household. It is a mixing. It is a mixing of the things of God with the things of the world. And let me tell you, you and I as Westerners, we may not take an idol. We may not take a graven image. We may not take something that we've made with our hands. Something that is of gold or silver or wood. And we may not worship an idol. But let me tell you, that doesn't mean that we don't have idolatry in our own lives. And if the Lord would give us eyes to see it this morning, if the Lord would help us see the idolatry that is in so many of our lives and so many of our homes, then we could remove it to the glory of God. Before you throw stones at Micah, I want us to look at our own lives and say, is there idols? Are there idols within my own life? What is idolatry? I want you to note this. Idolatry is any material or immaterial anything that you and I put above Jesus Christ in our lives it's anything that we pursue above the will of God above the glory of God above the worship of God that is idolatry I think as westerners a lot of times the first thing that we think of as idolatry is money money and certainly, money can be an idol to you. If you love money, if you love what money, if you love the way that money makes you feel, friends, you may have an idol. If your pursuit in life is money and the things that money can obtain, then you may have an idol. The Bible says, you no. Know, The Bible says take hold of that which is truly life, eternal life, not the things of this world. But few of us ever think about other idols. For example, the family that God gives us. We ought to love and be devoted to our families. But listen, there are some who put their families above the Lord. You don't know how many people that I've counseled, In my office back there. You don't know how many that I have sat and prayed with. And talked through their marriage issues. And I have literally, literally had people tell me. If God does not save my marriage. Then I'm done with God. Friends, that's an idol. That's an idol. If the pursuit of your career or your happiness, or your enjoyments, or your interests, or your hobbies, if those things are above the pursuit of God's will for your life, then my friends, you are a Micah. There are idols within your life. And I want to... Proposed this question today. Could some of us be here today and we are mixing the things of God with the things of the world? I think if we would really get down to the heart of the matter today, why is it that we are around the things of God today? There are some of us. Why are we in church today? Because we love the way it makes us feel. Makes us feel good about ourselves. Friends, that's idolatry. For some of us, why do we pray? Because we only pray for what we will get out of God. Friends, that is idolatry. For some of us, we give financially, we tithe, but the only reason is because of what we will get back out of God. Friends, that is idolatry. And I want to ask today that in our loving God and in our serving God and in our praying to God in our daily walk with God is it all about what I get out of God? Or is it because the Lamb of God is worthy? The Lamb of God is worthy of all of my affections. He's worthy of the best of my abilities. He's worthy of the best of my attention. He's worthy of the best of my skills. The Lamb is worthy of all of me. But if, if it's really about what I get... If it's about what I obtain, if I say to God, if things don't work out the way I want them to work out, then I'm done. I quit. Friends, all you have is an idol. Your religion is idolatry. What lessons you and I can learn from Micah. So here he is he has the things of the world he's got he's got idols literally literally physical idols and then he has the ephod the things of god and then he gives the greatest slap in the face to god he look at verse 5 he ordains his son a priest now why is this sinful It's sinful because verse 1 tells us that Micah and his household is of the tribe of Ephraim. God makes it clear. The only ones who can be ordained priests are those of the tribe of the Levites. Do you know what Micah tells us, friends? It tells us, it shows us a man who says he loves God, but does everything contrary to the will of God. And many of you listening today, you're in the same boat. You're here in the house of worship. You're here among the songs of God. You read your Bible and you pray. But your life is absolutely contrary to everything that God says. You are a Micah today. God has brought you here because he desires to turn your life around. He desires to open the eyes of your heart. He wants to help you see what you don't see right now in the moment. And God wants to deliver you out of this. Micah is someone who wants the blessings of God, but he doesn't want the ways of God. He wants to worship God, but he wants to do it on his own terms. Friends, I'm telling you right now, you cannot embrace sin. You cannot snuggle up to sin. You cannot harbor open sin before the Lord and then try to worship God. If you worship God with open sin, friend, all you have is idolatry. Nothing more and nothing less. Let's hear the word of the Lord today. So, Micah. He ordains his son, the priest. He's got the ephod. He's got idols. He's mixing the things of the world with the things of God. Then in verse number seven, we we get introduced to this guy. We don't know his name, but he's his Levite. and, and, And he leaves his hometown. He's trying to find something better. He's trying to find a better opportunity. And you know what this guy represents? He represents Christians with wonder lust in their hearts. He's not happy where he lives. He's not happy with what God set up. Levites were to be taken care of by whatever town they're in. and He's not happy with that. He's looking for something better. Let me tell you, my friends. There's some of you listening today. You're never satisfied. You're never content. And I want, to tell, I want to lovingly tell you, God cannot use people that are not content in life. Contentment with what? What's the scripture say? With godliness is great gain. And see, you're trying to gain all these things of the world. You're trying, to, you're trying to put as many things into your hands as what you can fit. But you know what the Bible says is great gain? Godliness with contentment. That is great gain. And some of you, I want you to hear the word of the Lord today. Some of you, you'll go city to city. You'll go relationship to relationship. You'll go career to career. And you'll never find what you're searching for. You'll never find it. You'll never find the satisfaction that you so crave. You'll never find the joy that you're looking for. You'll never find the inner peace that's lacking, that's missing. Do you know why? Because it's found in only one place. And that's surrendering your life to the Lordship. Of Jesus. That's the only place that it will ever be found. And here this Levite, he's got wanderlust in his heart. He's roaming from place to place. And then in verse number 9 and 10, he comes across Micah. And Micah says, hey, I'll hire you. I'll pay you 10 shekels of silver and a change of clothes. And the priest said, I'll take it. And then look at verse 13. And here is the true heart of Micah. Verse 13 says, And Micah said, Now God will bless me because I have a Levite as a priest. He didn't say that about his son. I bet his son felt shortchanged. He said, Now God will bless me. Friends, do you know what Micah is? Micah is a man who thought he could buy the blessings of God. Mike is a man who thought he could purchase the favor of God. That's idolatry. Say amen if you're with me right now. So how are you and I spared from idolatry? How do you and I escape this snare? Because listen, we are all in danger of it. You realize that? We are all in Let me tell you, idolatry can be found in many, many different places. You know, I have to be careful because I'm a huge sports fan. You know, yesterday, being a Tennessee, University of Tennessee fan, oh, it's the worst day on the calendar every single year. <laughs> I always dread that day. And you know, I listened to the game last night. You know, Tennessee, I, 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 think, I, I, I think if we would just, as Tennessee fans, we just turn it off at halftime. You know, if we, we just, we're, we're happy with two quarters, that's it. And if we would stop there, we'd be fine. It's a shame you got to do the entire game. Anyway, but listen, if I came in here depressed today, moping, angry, over pigskin? Over a game? But see, anything can become an idol if we're not careful. Anything. Politics! Whoa, 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 watch out now! Can become an idol. Anything if you're not careful. So, how do we, how do we, How do we watch this? How do we we spare ourselves from this snare? Well, go with me very very quickly to Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 6. Very quickly. Jeremiah 18, verse 6. God teaches the prophet Jeremiah a great lesson. He tells him in verse 1, Go where I tell you, and I'm going to show you the word of the Lord. Verse 2, he takes him to a potter's house. Verses three, four, and five, he shows him a potter working at his potter's will with a lump of clay. And verse five. Uh, I'm sorry, verse six. The word of the Lord. Are we not clay in the hands of the potter? Now say amen if you're with me right now. Is your life clay? In the hands of the potter. In other words, can God shape you as he desires? Can he shape the circumstances of life as he wills? Or do you throw yourself off the potter's wheel? Days that I struggle the hardest with blindness... Days that I feel the weight of blindness, the hardest. I will tell the Lord today, I place myself, oh God, on your altar. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I am a living sacrifice. Make me holy and acceptable unto God. I want to be clay on the potter's will. I don't want to pursue my agenda. I don't want to pursue my desires or my goals or my wills. I want to be soft clay being molded by the hands of the potter. And when you place yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice, when you place yourself on the potter's will and say, God, you cut off of me what you desire. You shape into me what you desire. You have your hands all over me, God. And if it hurts, it hurts. If it's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable. But I want to be shaped by the potter's hands. And when you do that, my friends, your idols begin to break. Your idols begin to fall away. Amen. Last night, we were at Hunger First. 32 consecutive Saturdays feeding the homeless at Hunger First. Amen. Praise God. We lost count after feeding about 75 or 80. We just kept on feeding. Amen. As we were packed up and getting ready to leave, a man asked to talk to me, and maybe he's even here this morning, I don't know. But this guy, he used to go here many years ago, quite a few years ago, and his family attended here. And he wanted to say hi to me, and we talked for a few moments, and, you know, he had no idea that I'm blind, no idea. And when he found out that I was blind, he was stunned, absolutely stunned. And you know what? I've been blind for about three years now, and he is the very first person to ask me this question. I don't know why others haven't asked. Maybe uh, I'm sure many has wondered, but, but he, he's the only one to ask me this. You know what he asked me? Are you mad at God? I said, mad at God? No. Why would I be mad at God? He said, I would be mad at God. He said, said, Chad, I've watched your life. You've lived right. You've done all the right things. He said, I'm in my situation because of decisions I made, but I've watched you and, and you've done right. Why would God do this to you? He said, how can you not be angry at God? Thought about that for a moment. And I said, do you remember the story in the Bible about the young man who came to Jesus? And the Lord said, take everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor and then you can follow me. I said, yeah. You know what the Bible says about that young man? The Bible says that he walked away sorrowful. I said, my friend, let me tell you. People who walk with the Lord, we walk in victory. (laughs) People who walk with the Lord, we walk with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Those who walk with the Lord walk in triumph. It's those who walk away from Jesus. Those are the ones that walk sorrowful in life, not those who walk with the Lord. Now, let me tell you, God's teaching me something right now in all of my struggles. God's teaching me something right now in my moments of weakness. God's teaching me that Christ is worthy of any suffering of this life. He's worthy of all praise when I gain. And he's worthy of all praise when I lose. No matter what comes into my life, no matter what goes out of my life, Christ is worthy. And I want to ask you today in your praying, do you pray only because of what God will give you? Do you follow God only because of what God, friends, if that's the only reason that you Approach the Lord. If that's the only reason you pray, then friends, all you have is a genie in a bottle. And the Bible calls it idolatry. So I don't know your lot in life now. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your hardships or your difficulties. But I know this. The Lamb of God is worthy of your praise today. And see, we have fallen in a trap in this culture. And I'm speaking of the church right now. We try to sell the gospel as though it is a product. And we tell this hurting generation and we tell this lost generation, we say, if you'll try Jesus, he'll make your life better. Friends, that's a false gospel. Today, if you're here and you're without Christ, today, if you're here and you're full of sin, today, if you're here and you need salvation, let me tell you why you should give your life to God. Because Christ is worthy. Amen? No other reason. And today, if you're walking through the most horrible season of your life, if you are facing the trial of your life, if you're about to collapse under burdens, let me tell you why you should worship Christ. Because He is worthy. That's why. And it's not about what God will do for you. It's about the aroma of Christ that He will get out of you. Do you know what the beauty of a flower is? Is when you crush it, do you know what it does? It releases its fragrance. Do you know what the ultimate beauty of our lives is before the Lord? Is that when circumstances of life crush you, we release the aroma of Christ. Is your religion about what you get? If so, all you have is an idol. But if your religion is about Christ and his worthiness. Let me say this and then I'm going to end with a story. Today, if you struggle with assurance of your salvation, many people do. Many people, Satan's all over them. Telling them, you're not truly saved, you're not truly saved, you're not truly saved. And they repent, and they repent, and they repent, and they repent. And, you know, I remember years ago in my life, I struggled with assurance. Some terrible preacher got up and said something. All he was trying to do was get numbers, and he said something awful, and it made me doubt my salvation. He put a he put a seed of doubt right there, and it's a terrible thing to be saved and not feel like you're saved. It's a terrible thing to be born again and then keep asking to be born again. That'd be like that'd be like Hudson constantly saying, "Are you my? Uh, am I your kid? Do I belong to you?" Uh, which I'd say, "Well, you're, you belong to your mother. You act like her, but." <laughs> By the way, his mother just told me today that apparently he took an ink pen and drew quite a portrait on the back of our leather car seat. He is his mother's child. I said, well, the blessing of being blind is what you can't see don't really bother you. So, <clears throat> You want assurance of your salvation today? Let me tell you how to handle the devil. You tell the devil, Christ is worthy of my life. And if in the end I die and I go to hell, I will lift up my eyes into hell. And I will say, worthy is the lamb. And let me tell you, he'll leave you alone. He can't do nothing with a life like that. Amen. Amen. Christ is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of every trial that you face. He's worthy of it. Is He worthy in your life? Do you live a life in a manner that is worthy of the Lamb? Let me close today. In the mid-1700s, there were two young men who lived in Germany named Johann and David. And in the mid-1700s, God stirred their souls for the lost. They were Moravians. God called them to be missionaries. There was an island in the Danish West Indies. And the whole island was a plantation. It was estimated that over 2,000 African slaves lived on this plantation. And it was known, once you're on the island, you will never leave. You will live and you will die. You'll be buried on that island. The owner of the plantation in the 1700s was a notorious atheist. And he was famous for saying that no church and no pastor and no missionary is welcomed on the island. And these two young men in their 20s, they felt so stirred. They felt so called to go there. They inquired, and he flat turned them down and said, No, there will be no preaching on the island. Feeling so compelled by the calling of God. Do you know what these two young men in their 20s did? They did the unthinkable. They sold themselves to this island as slaves. They took the money that was purchased, and they bought a one-way ticket by ship to the island. Word spread all over Germany, and as the two young men, the day approached for them to leave, many Moravians gathered on the shores, and all of their family was there and their families were weeping and they, were, they couldn't understand how could these two young men in their 20s, how could they throw their lives away? But let me tell you, that's not how heaven saw it. Johan and David boarded the ship and as it set sail, as they almost got out of eyesight and ear shot, no one ever heard from them again. But here's the last thing. That their loved ones ever heard them say. They locked arms. And one of them yelled back. Worthy is the lamb. And may the lamb receive his reward. For his sacrifice. See they got it. They didn't live for what they would get. They lived for the glory of God. God. And in your trial and in your heartache today, in your pain today, in your sufferings today, in your confusion today, let me tell you, you can make the Lamb of God worthy. Do you use a streaming device at home or at work? Simply say, Hey, Google, play. Awaken to Grace with Chad Roberts Podcast, and listen to our weekly podcast that is the current sermon that I preach each week at Preaching Christ Church.